0: A series on Wednesday nights now. The Lord just kind of put on my heart about this matter of studying the Word of God, knowing the Word of God in a greater way. Uh, I feel like uh, I've been a Christian now for 35 years. I feel like I'm just getting started, Brother Flynn. I feel like I don't know anything, I'll be honest with you. The more I study the Word of God, the more I feel like I don't know it. And uh, I, I thought that's almost ridiculous to say that, but I knew a man uh, years ago that was 65 years of age, and I take that back, he was 80 years of age, he said he had been studying the Bible for 65 years. He told me, this is a true story, he told me that his dad, when he was a young man, when this man was a young man, that he he got saved and his dad told him, his dad was was very wealthy. His dad told him, he said, look, he said, son, I'm gonna make a deal with you. He said, if you promise me that you will spend the rest of your life every day the rest of your life studying the Bible, you'll never have to work a day in your life. That's what he told me. And he took his dad up on that. He had never worked a day in his life. That's all he had ever done was study the Bible. And I thought, wow, what an amazing life. 65 years. The man had used, he had uh, different mnemonic tools uh, different ways to memorize things. And so like he would, he would take, he, if you ask him a question and you were talking about something in the Bible, has anybody ever asked you something and, and you, you know the answer, but you don't know where it's at in the Bible? Is, is that ever, that happens to me all the time. Yeah, it happens to me all the time. And it's, that's called being location conscious. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful thing when you're able to turn somewhere and show them because the word of God is the power of God. And and this man, you can ask this man any question about something in the Bible, and he can immediately turn anywhere. He knows the Bible that well. And he sat there, one of the most humble men I've ever met in my life. And he sat there, and I heard him. We had him for three days. He taught the book of Psalms in three days. It was so deep, I was lost. I didn't know where I was at, some of the stuff this guy was teaching, and and he said over 15 times in three days, there's so much that I don't know, he just kept saying that, and I thought, you're not encouraging me, (laughs) (laughs) so tonight, I want to continue talking, we're kind of laying the groundwork, I don't know how long we'll be in this, but uh, to me the you could study the Bible like he's studied sixty five years you can study the Bible the rest of your life you know and it's it's just a wonderful thing because it's a bottomless pit you know And there's there's, there's gold nuggets every time you open up the word of God and so we're we're talking about bible doctrine so tonight uh, we're going to kind of launch off where we were last week talking about bible doctrine and i'm going to cover from this standpoint and and you know anything I do anything i've done to this point. You know, if if you know anything about Bible doctrine, the Word of God, I'm just scratching the surface. Uh, I hope that some of this just does what it's done for me, is it just it just causes you to have a greater hunger, a greater desire to get in the Word of God yourself, and uh, that that is something that I want for my life, and and I've enjoyed studying. So last week we talked about it, here by way of introduction, we talked about the revelation of the Word of God. All right, now if you were here last week we talked about what what is revelation notice the definition here revelation is the unveiling of truth that was not given before so when you think about revelation remember we talked about who was the who is the individual god used the first five books of the old testament was moses so moses wrote those five books and of course moses wasn't there on the days of creation. And yet how did he know what to write god revealed that god unveiled that to him that's revelation now tonight we're going to take another step because we're moving not necessarily away from but along with revelation write it down is the inspiration of god's word now i want to to spend tonight talking about the inspiration of the word of god it's so very important we understand it and here's a simple definition Inspiration is the recording of God's truth for man. The recording of God's truth for man. So tonight, if you have a Bible in your hand, or one laying on your lap, you have a copy of God's Word. Aren't you glad that you're privileged to have a copy of God's Word tonight? Uh, I think Nazarel's around here somewhere. Maybe she's out in the foyer or in the nursery. I saw her somewhere here tonight. Nazarel's father's in prison down in Nicaragua. And I was told by somebody about two, three weeks ago, he has one page of the Bible. That's all he has. Can you imagine how dear whatever that portion of Scripture is that he has, how dear that portion of Scripture? I guarantee you he probably has it memorized. He, it's probably something that he'll never forget. Because I believe with all my heart he's going to get delivered from that prison just like Peter was in the book of Acts. But here's the thing is is that when you think about inspiration you're talking about the recording of God's truth to man. Inspiration is it literally means God breathed or God spirited. The, the word that there that God gave in the original text was the word theonoustos. Okay, so look here. You may not know the language, but most of us remember we talked about those doctrines, theology, the root of theology is theo or theos which means what god and then you have the word neustos. remember there was a doctrine called pneumatology what was the remember the doctrine of what the holy spirit okay so you have god spirited god breathed and we looked at some scriptures last week about how that's what god did was god spoke this world into existence remember the 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 latin term there ex nihilo out of nothing god created this world out of nothing. So tonight when we look at inspiration, we're talking about God breathe. Now, as Bible-believing Christians, I want to give you two things when it comes to inspiration that we hold to. Now, I'm going to preface here tonight, okay, because this is Wednesday night. It's Bible study. There's a lot of terms that I'm using, and listen, to be honest with you, don't get hung up on the terms, okay? It's not about the terms. It's about understanding the, the, the miraculous uh, work that God did that we have in the Word of God. Okay, Now, a lot of times people think, because, look, I have never really used outside of church or with other Christians, I, I haven't walked around using the word theonoustos. <laughs> I, there's been very few times I've ever used the word inspiration. But I have explained to people how we have God's Word. You understand what I'm saying? It's, it's important that we understand these concepts, and, and how God's Word came about, and we're going to get into that even next week. But let me give you two aspects, as Bible-believing Christians and this matter of inspiration, the recording of God's truth, two things we hold to. Write the first one down. We, we, we hold to what is called verbal inspiration, okay, verbal inspiration. Now, to understand that, when you look at the word verbal, okay, Verbal inspiration, it means that God gave the very words to the writers and not merely the thoughts or the feelings behind it, okay? Now, you have to understand that, listen, if God didn't give them the words, then the book in your lap or the book in your hand would not be a book of God's words. It would be a book of whose words? Man's words, okay? Do you get that? So we believe in verbal inspiration. We believe that God gave them the very words. Have you ever heard me? If you, hopefully you've been paying attention, there are times where I will say to you, as I'm like sharing something that the apostle Paul wrote in the New Testament, and I will say, uh, Paul wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The reason I say that is because I'm trying to help you, as a child of God, to understand. Even though, even though Paul's Uh, his personality might have come through the writings, okay? You can't can't separate the person because Paul was the one that God used. Think about this. What profession was Luke? He was a doctor. Doctors are very educated people, okay? So when you think about verbal inspiration, we're talking about God's the one that gave them the words, okay? We're going to look at this a little bit more tonight, but we believe in verbal inspiration. So we're talking about God gave them the very words, but then write the second word down. We believe in what's called plenary, P-L-E-N-A-R-Y, plenary inspiration. Now that's probably a word that may be really foreign to many of you, but here's what it means. It means that every word of scripture is fully complete. In other words, every word of scripture is inspired equally. God's thoughts were fully expressed. In other words, you don't have to add something to the word of God. God gave his word and that's why a lot of times we'll say thus saith the Lord. You know, the prophets they gave God's word. And listen, it's not up to us to add something to it. God fully expressed it. Now, let me say something to you here. Sometimes when you look in the Bible and you're reading your Bible, If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you understand that when it comes to certain books in the Bible, every book is unique in and of itself, right? Every book is, I mean, there are, how many of you kind of have a favorite book in the Bible? Like one that's just, it means something to you, maybe because of what's in it, maybe something God's used from that book in you, and it might be one that you favor, but watch this, when it comes to inspiration, there's no book in the Bible that's more inspired than another book in the Bible. Now, we're, on Sunday nights, starting this Sunday night, we're going to start to study the book of Romans. Now, the book of Romans is a huge doctrinal treaty that God gave. I mean, it's powerful. It's meaty. I mean, it, it, it's not for a, a, a brain. Look, when somebody gets saved, let me see if you, if you know this one. When somebody is a new creature in Christ, they're a babe in Christ, have you ever known somebody like that and then you encourage them to start reading their Bible, where do you normally tell them to start reading? Book of John. See, most of us know that. And the reason for that is because 75% of the book of John, the words are monosyllabic. They're one-syllable words. It's a very easy book. To get a hold of. And it's by the way, the book of John's a great book, especially for a new believer in Christ. But see, look, I I wouldn't take somebody that just got saved and say, hey, you need to start reading Romans chapter (laughs) 1. I also would not say to them, you need to start reading the book of Galatians, you know, uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, again, I'm not gonna explain if you've been if you've been reading the Bible long enough. You know each one of those books, and there are others. Listen, a lot of the Old Testament books, the book of Leviticus, the book of Numbers, boy, there's a lot of things in there. And if, you'd really, if, you're, not, if you're not growing and, and grown in the Lord, some of that's hard to get a hold of. But listen, do you understand tonight that the book of Romans is no more inspired of God than the book of Genesis? They're equally inspired. Everybody with me tonight? So when we talk about the plenary, see the verbal inspiration is God gave the very words and plenary means that they're equally inspired, that it's all good, it's all God's word. There's nothing that is more important and there's nothing. How about this? All those little books in the Old Testament towards the end of the Old Testament are called what kind of prophets? Minor. Minor. Do you know they're not called minor? See, the other ones are called major the reason they're called that is because of the size of the actual book or letter because many of them are just a couple chapters long there's some that are close to 12 chapters but understand now the book of Daniel's right in there with Isaiah and and and, and Ezekiel and books like that and the book of Daniel's only 12 chapters long but see just because they're minor doesn't mean that those prophets meant less to God than maybe an Isaiah or a Jeremiah okay So when it comes to inspiration, we believe as Christians that God gave the very words and we believe that every word is equally inspired. And so as you think about that, look at what it says here. And and I love the 316s in the Bible. You know, we all know John 316, right? How many of you know 2 Timothy 316? There you go. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable. Look at what it says here. It's right there in your notes. What's it profitable for? For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So it sounds to me like listen, how much scripture is it just the book of Romans or is it every book in the Bible that is profitable? Right? Every last one of them. See, when it comes to inspiration, God inspired all of his words, the very words they're equally inspired. Listen, I can get something. Yes, that means even the genealogies, I can get something from it. See, if you're looking and your heart's open and you have the most important ingredient, and that is the Holy Spirit of God, then you can understand what you're reading. You can get something out of it. Are you with me tonight? Okay. So we're just talking about inspiration here. Now, when it comes to inspiration, somebody said it this way. Inspiration is said to occur when the word is now on paper. So look at this verse I gave you in Exodus 17, verse 14. Look at the, look at the verse. The Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial where? In a, book. in a book. And rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under the heavens. So what did God tell Moses to do? He told him to write something and put it in a book. Now remember back then they didn 't have things like we do now boy aren 't you glad that that uh, uh, what was his name uh, Johannes uh, Gutenberg invented the printing press and started start, they started printing the Bibles because listen back way back, way back in the Old Testament times and even close to the time of Christ, they were still handwriting every copy of the Word of God and and it was written on papyri. It was written on scrolls. It was written on all kinds of things. In other words, in our day, we would say it was written on like like dinner napkins. I mean, they were writing it anywhere and everywhere that they could. And so when you think about this, God tells Moses, I want you to write it down. That's inspiration. It's the recording of the word of God. He says, I want you to write it. Moses put it in a book. So here's the question tonight. Let's see if you're following. What was it that God inspired? One word. Starts with a W, and I just said word. Word. God inspired the word. That's what he inspired, all right? So the whole tenor of the Bible speaks to the importance of words. Look at these verses I gave you here. Psalm 12, verse 6 and 7. Somebody want to read that? Anybody want to read that out loud? Anybody? Any takers? Yes, ma'am, back there. Read it out loud for us. Yeah, so look at, she just read, the words of the Lord are pure words. And then notice two other times, thou shalt keep them, the pronouns talking about the words of God. And then it says, and thou shalt preserve them. See, God says, my word is what's important. I want my word to be preserved. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. Uh, Proverbs 30 and verse number five. Look at the first part of this verse. Every word of God is pure. Every word, not some, all of it. Every last bit of it is pure. So when it comes to the word, here, here's a good one. The word word. Okay. Now see if you can follow me here, if I can explain this right. But the word itself became so important that it became a name to describe God's own son. Did you hear what I just said? The word, word. It became so important. See the emphasis that God places on the word. Look at the verses here. Somebody want to read John 1.1? Yeah, so in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the Word was God. So uh, somebody else started to read there, John 1, 14. And the word was made flesh the world, and yeah, the Word was made flesh, First John 5, 7. Somebody want to read that? Yeah, there you go again, the Word. So when you look at 1 John 5, 7, what are you looking at? It's, it, that's the Trinity there, right? The Father, the Word, that's Jesus. Now, if you, if you study it out, here's what the word, Word means in the original. It's the word logos. That Jesus is the Word. Now, understand, remember when Jesus was 12 years old and he was sitting in the temple and he was sitting among the theologians of the day and he blew their minds. You know why? Because he was the word of God incarnate. See, he was God in the flesh. Jesus, if God, listen, if God gave his word, then guess what? Jesus is the word of God. Do you see the relationship there? And so as we look at this, listen, revelation is is the unveiling of truth. It's God revealing truth to us. And revelation is the recording. So watch this. God, remember the verse there in Exodus 17, God gave his word to Moses, and then what did Moses do? He wrote it down. See, revelation, God gave it. God showed it to him. He unveiled it. He, 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 he revealed it to him, and once he did, then Moses wrote it down. So you have revelation that is directly connected to inspiration, right? Now, let me, let me kind of test you here tonight, okay? This is something that maybe you've never looked at before, but look at the first question I want to ask you is this. Can you have inspiration without revelation? What do you think? Now let me let me say this before you answer. Can you have inspiration the recording of the word of God without revelation it being revealed? So some of you are saying yes, some of you are saying no, and some of you are going, huh, pastor's trying to trick us. So look here, this, this is what it's all about tonight. We're doing a study, we're trying to get you to think. So let me give you, because the only thing I'm going to give you is Bible tonight, okay? So here, here's the example. In the Bible, you have something known as genealogies. What's that? Deuteronomy twenty nine, twenty-nine, uh where it talks about uh the things that are revealed are man's are children forever, but the things that are hidden are of God's. And and there are some things that are hidden, but when it comes how many of you know your family's ancestry? Kind of, you know. I'm sure all of us have monkeys coming somewhere in our family, right? But here's the thing is, is that they, they would know their genealogies without them actually being revealed to them. And they, they were, they'd be able to write. David in the Bible, uh, it, of course, David would have known whose ancestors were. If you go over to the New Testament, uh, who, wrote, who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. Luke did, right? And then Luke wrote the book of Luke. So look what it says here in your notes in Luke chapter 1 in verse number 1. This is talking about can you have inspiration, the recording without revelation, the revealing? Look at Luke one verse one. As much as as many for as much as many have taken in hand to set forth, in order, a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. Now let me stop there for a second. No, we all know God is a God of order, right? When you study the books of the Bible, you find that God gave them to us in an order. Uh, everything about it, God was very specific when He gave his word, so even in that first verse there in the in the Gospel, according to Luke, you see here where he says that as many as have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration this wasn 't just some kind of hodgepodge thing. He says this was something done orderly, He says, and there are things that were believed among us. Now look at the next verse, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning, were what? Eyewitnesses. And notice he, he says, notice the conjunction there, ministers of the word. So these aren't just talebearers going around telling this story and telling this, making this up, making that up. He says, these are people that were eyewitnesses. They were true witnesses of things that did happen. He says, they were ministers of the word. And he says, it seemed good to me also having had, look at this, at having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first. And here it is to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been assured or been instructed. In other words, he's saying, look, he says, I've received this. I'm not just going to give you something. And, And the word there, Theophilus, there's a there's a little bit of, a, uh, maybe a little disagreement. Again, look at the word Theophilus. What's the first four letters of Theophilus? Theo, right? And that's God. And philos is part of the verb phileo, which means love. So, so it's, it, it really is a, a small way to say lover of God. Some people believe that Theophilus was an actual person. Some people believe that it is a kind of a, a pet name, For the church, the people of God, uh, which I, as you study out the Word of God, there especially where the context of it, I believe that's the way it kind of lends to. But again, I'm not going to split hairs with somebody over that. But here's here's the thought: is is that Luke says, look, he says these were things that were relayed to me by eyewitnesses that were ministers of the Word, and he says by order, he says we wrote those things down. So. according to the Word of God, you can, in some regards, not, not always, you can have inspiration, the recording, without revelation, without it being revealed. So here's the next question. Can you have revelation, the revealing of truth, without inspiration, the recording of it? In other words, would God, in the Bible, can you think of an instance where God showed something to somebody, but it wasn't written down? Okay. That's that's right. There's 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 one in the book of Revelation. Remember who who wrote the book of Revelation? John. Yeah, John did. And and as John was writing, when you get to John chapter Revelation chapter number ten, John sees uh, that's uh, that's right here in your notes. John ten four. He says, "When the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to do what? Right. To write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me." seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and do what? Write them not. So John saw something that God says, look, don't write it down. Now, if you, if you go over to Daniel chapter number 12, verse 4, verse 7 through 9, you find the same thing. Daniel was told to seal them up. In other words, there were some things that Daniel could have written that God didn't want him to write. By the way, you get to, what is it, Brother Flynn, the end of John's Gospel? One of the Gospels says that there's much more that the world, that, that God didn't want to give us, right? The world cannot, the world cannot contain it, or something like that. So, so we know that our Bible could be way bigger, right? Now, whenever, I, whenever people say something to me about that, here's what I say to them What are we doing with what we have, right? And so, because God's holding us accountable to the inspiring of the word that he's already given to us. So when, when you think about inspiration, look, it is such a wonderful thing because there are instances in the Bible where you could have something that's revealed, but it's not written down, and you could have something written down that wasn't revealed. But remember, God inspired all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So it's a wonderful thing. Now, r- right now, if you're thinking to yourself, wow, this is, this is pretty intense, I'm going to be honest with you. I've studied the Bible for 35 years. I've known men that have studied it twice as long as I have. And it's hard sometimes to wrap your mind around it. Why? Because it's God's book. It's God's words. It's not mine. Uh, I'm going to talk about a few things here, but we need to kind of keep moving. But I want you to look at this. When you consider inspiration, it's evident from some of the stuff we've talked about tonight that God has chosen to use human instrumentality. In other words, God... How did, who was it that received the Ten Commandments? Moses. Did Moses write those? The finger of God did. So isn't it interesting that God allowed or chose to use human instruments to record the word of God when he could have just took his finger and wrote the entire word of God himself. But see, he included humans in the process. Does that blow your mind like it does mine? Why would God do that? And I think it's it just, it, again, it's another thing that makes the Bible unique. And I want you to see this tonight. Look at First 1 Peter, 1, Peter 1.21. This is a verse that, listen, you've got, to, you've got to get a hold of this verse. I shared it last week. The prophecy or the word of God came not in old time by the will of who? It's right there in your notes. you see the verse? The prophecy, can, or maybe I didn't give it to you. 2 Peter one twenty-one. Sorry, I thought I gave it to you again. It came in old time, not by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by who? By the Holy Ghost, right? So here's what happened is, it's not a book of man, it's inspired. The very words, every word is inspired of God. Now I want to show you the aspect of human, write it down. What is the human element in scripture, okay? Let me give you some, we'll roll through these, but I, I think you'll see this. The first one that when you think of the human element of Scripture, it was written in three different languages. Anybody know what the languages were? There you go. A lot of people get the Hebrew and the Greek. Aramaic was the third language. There's a little bit of Aramaic in Ezra, some in Daniel, and there's a few in a few verses in the New Testament. Why Aramaic? Because that was the language of the common people in the days of Jesus. So a lot of times people don't realize that, but again... You don't have to know those languages to know the Word of God. That's one of the beautiful things about that God's Word has been translated. But God used three different languages. But, he, but think about it. What are languages? They're dialects of people, right? Remember on the day of Pentecost, there were 16 different nationalities. And, and, and Peter stood and preached, and they all heard the Word of God in their own language. That's, that's a miraculous thing, folks. Uh, we, we, we now have something, Nazarelle helps us, she translates the messages so people who prefer Spanish can hear the message in their language. So when you think about it, God uses three different languages, that's using humans. Look at the next one here, Is it, the Bible was written by at least 40 different men, 40, and it was written over a period of 1,500 years, the Bible was written. And here's what we find is that these 40 or more individuals, they came came from diverse backgrounds. Some were priests, some were prophets, some were tax collectors, fishermen, tent makers, shepherds, physicians, on and on and on. There was a diversity there among these these writers, these different individuals. Write the next one down. When you talk about human uh, elements in Scripture, it reflects different literary styles, so boy, you talk about a literary masterpiece, that's the Bible. The Bible, why, is it, why do we say it's literary? It contains history, poetry, books of wisdom or proverbs, prophecy, genealogies, the gospels, parables, narratives, and apocalyptic writings. There are so many literary styles of writing in the Word of God. Look at the next one. Talking about human instrumentality, it shows human interest. When you look at the Bible, does it not deal with humans' experiences and their emotions? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. How about the woman that was taken in the act of adultery? The woman at the well. These were all human. When you look at it, it's human interest. Write the next one down. It utilizes human memory. What's something in the Bible that when you think of human memory, they, they would remember something? Remember what happened when God destroyed the earth by a flood? What did he give them? A rainbow. So that every time they saw that, they would remember. How about the Passover? Every year when the Passover came. How about this? Remember when they would cross over and, and they would, they'd say, oh, stop, we've got to set up a pile of rocks. Why'd they set up the pile of rocks? So that they could tell their kids... What God did, right? There's so many things in the Bible. The disciples, they remembered the words of the Lord. You know, they didn't get it when he said it, but later on they got it. So when you look at the Bible, it's a book of memory, human memory. Look at the next one. The Bible incorporates human cultures. Oh my goodness. I love our church, the diversity in our church. You think about the Bible, you have the you have Hebrew culture the Jewish culture. You have paganistic culture. There's Roman culture, Greek culture. There's Corinthian culture. There were Samaritans. There were half-breed Jews. There was the Gentile culture. I mean, I could go on and on and on. There are so many different cultures in the Word of God. Write the next one down. It, It speaks from a human observer's perspective. These were people, when you look in the Word of God, here's what you find a lot of times. There, there's always people looking from a distance, looking onto a situation. They're not in it. They're looking onto it. The, the disciples get me in the New Testament because they see Jesus doing all his stuff, and they're just kind of watching. You know, remember even when Jesus was on trial for his life, what was Peter doing? He was over there warming his hands by the fire. He was he was at a distance. So you see, when you look at the Word of God that it, sometimes there's the human observer perspective here's another one it gives different angles of the same event where's a good example of that in the bible the, gospel. the gospels there's four of them right and 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 there's very few events that happen in all four but there's a lot that happened in two or three And you can kind of look at this gospel record and this guy, and you can go, wow, okay, if I put all that together, I've got a pretty good understanding of what happened there. So you see that sometimes, that there's different uh, angles of the same event. Write this one down. It speaks of God from our perspective. When you look at the Bible, sometimes, uh, have you ever been reading in your Bible? Maybe these terms are new to you, but in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, there's something known as theophanies and Christophanies. Anybody know what those are? They're, they're appearances of Theo, God, and Jesus. Christ, it's, it's a Christophany. When, when, who, who wrestled with the captain of the host? Who, who was that that says, are you on our side? Who was that? That's right. So you see, you know, Joshua, you know, you see all kinds of appearances. Listen, when Jesus came into this world he was God in the flesh. He was a man. And they struggle with that. They're like, how can you be God? You're a man. I mean, you're eating food just like I'm eating food. And they had a hard time wrapping that, their minds around that. But, but understand that when you look at the Bible and you see this matter of human elements in the scripture, that it speaks of God from our perspective. And then the last one, it reveals man's sin. That's what when you look at the Bible. Hey, listen, the, the Bible doesn't gloss over the sin of man. Matter of fact, God God hits it head-on when it comes to sin. God doesn't just dance around sin, all right? So there's a human element when you look at the Word of God. Now, I want to give you this, and we're about done tonight, but I want to talk about the wonder of the Bible, because to me, I, I just love the Bible, and I was thinking about this this afternoon. Write these things that, when I think of how wonderful the Word of God is. I see the wonder of its formation, how that, the, the way that the, the Bible grew is still one of the greatest mysteries in the world today. How we ended up with the Bible that we have, the Word of God, the wonder of its formation. Secondly, the wonder of its unification. How many books are in the Bible? Sixty-six, but it's one book. Do you get it? How many, how many persons in the Godhead? Three, but there are one Lord. See, you have 66, I see unification. How about The Wonder of Its Age? It's one of the most ancient books of the world. One of the most ancient books. How about this? The Wonder of Its Sales. It's still the bestseller of all times, more than any other book. I, I looked the other day, listen to this. Guinness World Records, back in 1995, they estimated that 5 billion copies of the Bible had been sold and distributed around the world. Five billion, and that was back in 1995. I wonder what the number is now. That was Guinness Book of World Records. How about the wonder, next, write it down, the wonder of its interest. This is is the only book in the world that's read by all classes of people. You know what that means? It, 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 It includes, it touches everyone. There's no one that doesn't get touched by the word of God. It affects everybody from every walk of life. And so we see the wonder of its interest. The next one is the wonder of its language. Uh, When you look at the Bible, many of the individuals that, that actually God used to write the Word of God, many of them were uneducated men, but yet it's still considered one of the most literary masterpieces in the world today. And then notice the last one is the wonder of its preservation, you think about the Bible. I, I was thinking of Adolf Hitler. He tried to burn all the Hebrew Bibles. And by the way, Hitler's not the only one. There's a lot of people because it's, it's one of the, the, the tactics of the devil is to get rid of the word of God. And, and by the way, this world is doing a pretty good job or trying to do a good job of it. And can I tell you that with all their hatred of the Bible, it still exists. You know why? Because God says that my, my word will stand. Uh, listen, they could, tr- they could try to do what they want, but God is going to, to preserve his word to all generations. So by conclusion, let me give you a couple thoughts to inspiration, the inspiration of God's word. Here's the first one. No human mind could conceive of a God so perfect. See, if it was a book of man, there is no way that man could come up with the concept of a God, the God that we have that is so perfect. It's impossible because even the most brilliant minds in our country and in our world cannot come up with a God like our God. Look at the second observation, the condemnation of man, which you find it in the word of God, the condemnation of man is not an invention of the human mind. Now, you know why? Because here's what man tries to do. Man tries to glorify himself. Man tries to deify himself. He tries to do the exact same thing that Lucifer did. He tries to make himself a god. He tries to put himself on a throne. The last thing in the world that man would do is to condemn himself. That's why you know that the Bible is not a book of man. It's the book of God. Look at another conclusion that I see here is that man would not write about an eternal torment caused by sin. Man wouldn't do that. He wouldn't write about an eternal torment. Look, most man-made religions in the world today, here's what they believe. Some of you probably know this from maybe a background you have or friends or family that you know. They believe that when a person dies, that that's it, that it's it's over. Now see, that's not what the Bible teaches. Here's an interesting thing that I found today, and I, I think I already knew it, but I wanted to verify in 2018... Pope Francis. He actually suggested that at death, sinners simply cease to exist. That's the Pope of the Catholic Church. That's right. That's what he said. And here's here's the rest of his statement: While those who are saved enjoy eternal life, so even the Pope himself says that death ends it all. And by the way. Uh, the man that just stepped into the and I'm I'm not being political tonight, just trying to help you out here tonight. Joe Biden is a practicing Roman Catholic. And if he's a C- Roman Catholic to every fiber, then he believes what the Pope believes, and the Pope believes that there is no hell. See, and when you when you look at this, it's it's very damning. By the way, Ben Carson doesn't believe in God or hell. Yeah. Study that one out. A lot of of times you start to look. Ben Carson's a Seventh-day Adventist. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. The devil's got an agenda. And, and, And these people might be in the political arena, but listen, they're pulling it right into the world and into the church. We've got to be careful. That's why we need to be in the Word of God. That's why God's inspired His Word so that we can read and know what he wants. And then look at the last one, the last observation, I think you know this one, man could not invent a salvation by grace system. You know why? Because if you look at all the religions of the world today, they're all man-made and they're all man-made, meaning that every last one of them believes that it's salvation by what? By works. See, they think you can do this, you can do that. Folks, listen, even, even those that are steeped uh, those that, 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 that think or hope that they're part of the 144,000, if you've never studied that out, folks, listen, and I mean this with all kindness in my heart, I'm going to give you some Bible tonight. The 144,000, they're all male, they're all Jews, and they're all virgins. So what happens to all the women? Just a thought. See, that's why we have to know the Word of God It's very important that we understand all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Aren't you glad you hold a book of God in your hand instead of a book of man? See, God has inspired all of his word. And listen, I guarantee you by looks on some of your face tonight, some of you are like, man, I didn't know I was going to get all this tonight. Listen, can I challenge you to meditate and muse and dig and study on your own? and get into some of the stuff that I covered. Now, next week, we're going to get into uh, the preservation of the Word of God. We're going to talk a little bit about that. I might cover a little bit of, of what's called canonization, uh, which is an interesting topic also. But uh, I hope some of this is being helpful to you. And, and if not, uh, then we'll move on to something else. But, but I, I know this. I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed just, just being reacquainted with many of these things. And some of you, tonight, you had this look on your face. It may just be God saying, hey, look, you just, we just need to be aware of what's going on in the world around us. And if, as we study the Word of God, it will help us to be a, the Christian that God saved us to be. Any comments or anything real quick? Uh, just anything at all? Yes, sir. meaning who who God used to write them yeah, kind of like the of and all many of them are written actually written by the person that the the, their, the name of the book itself not all you know the book of yes was written by Daniel and how inspired by God said write this down or he knew what to write down because by the spirit all all scripture all was given by inspiration the process was the same in all of them well, the New Testament's the same way. All scriptures given by inspiration of God, every last bit of it. If it wasn't inspired, then it wouldn't be in that book that you have. Okay, so Matthew sits down and he writes something, mm-hmm. and then that carries on. Yes. So that, that word, mm-hmm. so. Yep, because it's God's word. See, God's promise to bless his word. See a lot there's there's a little bit of, of discussion who the writer of the book of Hebrews is. Now personally, I hold that it was the Apostle Paul that wrote the book of Hebrews. Some people don't feel that. The reason I do is because sometimes you can look at the writings, like for instance, if you look at the Gospel of John and you look at 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, even if they didn't bear his name, you could see a lot of similarities in the writings because it was the same person. If you look at Luke's Gospel and you look at the book of Acts, you can see some similarities in Luke's writing, in those two books, also. So, you know, again, it's it, it, it's it's taking the time to study the Word of God, and and what we've got to do is we've got to tr- we've got to quit just, you know, kind of glossing, and we need to actually pick up a shovel and start digging is what we need to start doing, and it's amazing when you start digging what you'll find. It's like when I moved here to Florida, somebody told me if any if you just take a shovel and start digging, you're going to hit water no matter where you're at. That's what they told me. And when I was in Israel, Brother Flynn, I had a guy told me, he said, if you, if, you try to, if you start digging anywhere in Israel, you're going to find something. Artifacts, whatever it is, he says, you're going to find something. And no matter where you start digging in the Bible, whether it's in Genesis, whether it's in Habakkuk, whether it's in Matthew's gospel, you're going to find something every time you start digging. Yes, ma'am. That's a great question. Here's how I would answer that. God's given us all of his word. That means that we're responsible for all of it. It also tells us that the things that happened unto them were given to us as examples. It, It actually uses a form of that. It uses the word in samples, which is basically the same thing. In other words, we can learn from what happened to them. Even though we're not Israel, we can see what happens when you're disobedient, rebellious to God or whatever. It is true, though, that we're living in what's called the New Testament era. In other words, there's no doubt that Jesus has come, he's given his life, and he established what is called the church. We're living in the age, some people call it the church age, some people call it the age of grace. I don't hold to the age of grace because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I believe God's grace has always been evident. But what's, what Paul, God used Paul to write was what we call the church epistles, which is the book of Romans, the book of Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, you know, Corinthians. All those are written to churches. So it's it's from those. Many of the when we look at at, at our uh, at the way we do things, how we 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 organize the structure of the New Testament church. Yes, we probably adhere more to that but we don't discount. There are people who actually will teach nowadays that because of where we live and who we are, we should basically take a knife and cut our Bible in half and only use the New Testament. That's not God's will. God's will is, is that we would study all the word of God. I was in a church, one. this is a true story, I was candidating for a church in 1999 in the state of Missouri. I was meeting with a group of deacons just like I did when I came here One of the deacons, who was an elderly gentleman, said to me in that meeting in front of all of them. He says, "Can I ask you a question?" And they were considering me to be the pastor of the church. He said, "What do you think of the Old Testament?" And I I just looked at him. I was like, "It's the Bible." I mean, I I didn't I didn't know what to say to him. I said, "It's the Word of God." And then I thought, "Okay, I'm going to throw it back on him." I said, "What do you think of the Old Testament?" And here's what his answer was. He was a deacon in an independent fundamental Baptist church in 1999, not 1899. He said he said to me, "Well, he goes, I really don't get much out of it." Wow. 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 <laughs> the was a with a and that's you that starts up romance and everything happening. else. Well, <laughs> no, so here's what I did, Lynn, was I was kind to him and the meeting ended I had no idea if they were interested in me, but I was kind of like, I don't really know, Lord, if this is where you want me to come. But I thought, if this is where God's sending me, it's going to be a good fight when I get here. So when I I went out, I I sat on the platform, they had some songs, took an offering, and then it was my turn to get up and preach. And I said, open your Bibles to 2 Samuel, and I preached the fire out of the Old Testament that night. That's what I did. (laughs) By the way... I had the message before the before I even went there, so it wasn't me being uh, the way I can be, but so does that answer your question? We do, we do listen, and we do read, and we do study all the Word of God, but God has given to us. Now, there are certain things that pertain in God's Word to the nation of Israel, but we can still learn. There are certain promises God made to the nation of Israel that are not for us, but there are many promises that are for us, and that's where it comes to our series, Rightly Dividing the Word of Truth. We want to cut it straight. We want to understand it. That's what this Wednesday night Bible study is all about. Brother Flynn? The old testament about the yes. From the old testament. Yes. One of, the, one of the phrases I heard years ago, Lily, was, was the Old Testament concealed is the New Testament revealed. A lot of things you see in the Old Testament that really never came to light, actually comes to light or fruition in the New Testament. But like Brother Flynn said, there are many things that were prophetic in the Old Testament that still have not happened even to this day. Some things will not happen until the Lord comes back. So, yes, ma'am. Yes, those are Jews. So God's program, according to Daniel's revelation, the program of God has been suspended with the nation of Israel. Now, God's still saving Jewish people right now during this, because the the gospel is for the Jew and the Gentile, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But that program, Daniel's 70 weeks, the prophecy of God, 69 of those weeks have already happened. There's one week to go. That one week is when? the time of tribulation. It's a seven-year period. That one week, that seven, that 70th week of Daniel, that's when God's program with the, with the Jews is going to take off again. It's during that time. That's when the 144,000, they're going to be preaching the gospel during that time period. That's when God's going to, to begin his program. That's why the, the Antichrist that makes all this promise of peace that's why he's going to to make the abomination of desolation. Listen, if it wasn't if, if it wasn't Jews that he was dealing with, then he would have never chosen, according to the word of God, a pig to desecrate in the temple. And th- he knows that that is something that's sacred to the Jewish people. So, do you have your hand up? No, nope, I thought I saw a hand, Brother Flynn. The end of the tribulation, the of yes. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you what we're gonna get into, if, if that interests you, what we're gonna get into, folks, we get into the book of Revelation, uh, book of Romans, and here's what you're gonna find. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, but on Sunday night, I'm actually going to give an overview of the entire book to set the stage for that, that Sunday night study on the book of Romans. But if you study it out, Romans chapter one to Romans chapter eight is all doctrine. When you get to Romans chapter nine, 10, and 11. Those are wonderful chapters in the book of Romans because they deal with Israel in the past, Romans chapter 9, Romans in the present, Romans chapter 10, and Romans chapter 11 deals with the nation of Israel yet future. And he talks about how that they're grafted in. It's a wonderful study, and uh, don't miss that study on the book of Romans. You got your hand up. Yeah. Yes. Well, here's the thing and again, I I'm some of you might have family. I I'm not down. I'm I'm not it's not my job to put down. But here's what you have to understand. When did when did we're a part of the church of the living God, right? Yes. Right? And so, when did we start? Jesus established the church, right? So we began with Christ. Do you know when the Jehovah Witnesses movement started? 1870, by by Charles Taz Russell. Charles Taz Russell had a copy of the Word of God, and he and he didn't like some of the things he read. Well, do you ever read something in your Bible you don't like? I do. But you know what they did? Charles Taz Russell started having Bible studies. So as a result, a a Bible study movement started. By the way, this is how most religions start. He had a Bible study and it, it continued to grow, just like Hitler came to power. So Russell, basically, a bunch of them got together and they wrote their own Bible translation called the New World Translation. So, hey, listen, if you have a problem with the Word of God, just write your own version. Because then you know what you can do? You can go right around all the problems that you don't like about the Word of God. So, And, that, and that's what they did. The Bible, they're, they're there, that's right. And then what they'll tell you is that was added later. That's what they'll tell you. Yeah, Yeah, and, and most of the people that I've talked to that come from that, that background, I, I, I legitimately try to talk to them if they're willing to have open dialogue. I will talk to them as long as they will let me talk to them and I'll listen to them. Now again, I don't, a lot of times I don't like what I'm hearing, but it educates me a little bit more about what they're steeped in and some of the errors and things, and it helps me hopefully to be able to help them and And what I find with most of them is they've been well indoctrinated. But what happens is is when you in this way, even a lot of Catholics are the way I was, is when you finally hear something and in your heart, you know that's not right. and when 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 you find a kink in that armor, then God can use that and the word of God to just start to chip away. And that's what God did with me as a Catholic was He helped me to understand. I mean, I'd be troubled today if I was a Catholic and the, and the Pope publicly said that he doesn't believe in a hell. I'd be concerned. Why have church, right? And they did away with purgatory years ago. You know, so I mean, you know, it's... it's see, look here, that's why I like being a bible believing Christian because anything that I, I may not understand, it's in here. I just need to study it and God, by His Holy Spirit, will help me to understand what the Word of God says. I'm not here to prove people wrong. I'm here to grow as a Christian. That's what I'm here for. things he was saying in the smirkish thing is we don't teach.